This is Capello Talks, the podcast. Listen to our expert panel talking all things coaching with the glitterati of the soccer world. In this episode, Director of Coaching, Dave Clark, talks with Martin Fairn, CEO of Gazing, and Abby Sadler, Head Coach of Women's Soccer at Capello, about helping male and female players to stop feeling stuck. Martin quotes Brian Ashton, until we stop treating mentality like a trip to the dentist, we'll not make progress. Welcome to the Capello Studio. I'm the Director of Coaching, Dave Clark. Today, I'm going to be talking about mental skills and how that affects players and coaches with Martin Fan, the CEO of Gazing, and Abby Sadler, Head Coach of Women's Soccer at Capello. Martin, it's great to have you here. Um, can you tell us a bit more about mental skills and how Gazing works with that? Thanks, Dave, and, and, and welcome, Abby, and welcome, Dave, and delighted to be here with Capello. Um, actually, Gazing initially was set up as a training company. We, we were established over 20 years ago now. Most of the work that we've done has been in the business community, uh, training leaders and salespeople and managers uh, in order to be better at what they do in their particular um, area or environment or role. Um, and, and, and we specialize in, in, in developing people to perform well in high pressure situations. And over the years, that's evolved more and more to cover all of the areas you might expect to see covered in a, a focus on performing well under pressure. And of course, uh, you know, a, a critical area of that is mindset. And so what's happened over the more recent, uh, actually, we sort of always started with it was we've developed this approach that extends into sport and into the military and into uh, the national health and particularly nowadays into education with teachers and kids, focusing in on mindset and helping people to be able to not just cope with the pressure that they find themselves under, the anxieties associated with that, but actually sort of get moving and do well. So it, it's taken us into some really exciting areas, not, not just in football, but today we'll be talking a little bit more about how we work with coaches and players in the world of football. When we talk about mindset and, and what coaches what coaches can do, uh, what pressures are we actually talking about that players come under and that, that coaches obviously face as well? Well, one of the things that we've seen more and more actually now is, as mindsets become a, a, a topic that everybody wants to talk about. If we went back 20 years when we started, it was almost as if we were speaking a different language when we started talking about mindset related to sport. But nowadays, everyone's talking about it, whether they're talking about it from a mental health perspective. And, and at last, I guess a lot of people would say there's been an acknowledgement of the mental health challenges faced, not just in sport and in football, but generally. And that's a more general topic. But actually also just the role that people's mentality can play and how well they do. And that's not limited to the the very elite that's limited to you know kids starting out to play whatever sport they're playing and just needing a little bit of help around mindset as long as their physical and technical side so um the concept of pressure is for us the really important starting point is is to begin by linking it to performance and linking it to how well people are doing what it is that they're doing in, in football it would be um for young children or elite athletes just how do you help them get better and, and pressure is often one of those things that not only acts as a, an impediment to people doing well, it can limit you, but actually it can become a catalyst. And so the first thing is to connect a discussion around mindset to the whole area of performance and the whole area of how people do well in that sort of pressurized environment that they find themselves in. Yeah, that's really good because 
There are, there's all sorts of pressures that face uh, coaches and, and players. You know, I coach uh, at, where I coach, I'm, I'm coaching under 11 girls. So that covers under 9, under 10, under 11. And, and, and Abby, will, Abby will know this better than I, I do. But when I see the girls turn up, because we have a, so, so they'll, they'll turn up uh, for an evening, for an hour and a half. And, and the whole area is, is filled with boys. So I know from the moment that their parents leave them at the gate, and they come into the to in onto the pitches. They are surrounded by boys, and I can see they a lot of them. That you know, some of them are really young, and this is their first taste of uh, of playing football. And I know that a lot of them must feel that. That I mean, that that's that's another pressure, isn't it, Abby? You know, the, you you're coming into an environment that's uh, that's different. Yeah, I agree. I think that, like you touched upon, Martin, mindsets being spoken about all of the time in lots of different environments and football particularly being being one of them um you hear people say around the game was won because of men the mental skills over the tech tack stuff but back to david's point about about female players i think it's even more so around just confident building but sometimes just getting females through the door and on the pitch and giving them that opportunity but i guess it's one of them where like not one shoe fits all if you kind of want to use that term and actually for some individuals turning up to David's session male or female but particularly females they might see it as a great opportunity they're able to go and play and get on and someone else might find it really difficult and that kind of anxiety just to get out the car and and go and play um so I guess it's how do you look to balance that with the individuals within the team, especially probably from female perspective, where you probably see the boys get out of the car, they all come charging in, and David, you could probably relate to it. You see girls turning up, and I, I coach under 18s now, and I still see I still see females turning up, and some are quite quiet, and you can see that they're nervous just before starting, and some aren't, and that depends on social groups, of course, and how well they know the group, but. How do you look to try and manage that, like those individuals within those teams when it comes to pressure? It's, it's brilliant observation as well, that because the, the um, you know, sometimes a conversation, I said start a conversation about performance. Sometimes even that can be a little bit daunting to start to say, you're here to get better and you're here to start, you know, everyone thinks about performance, thinks about winning and losing. Actually, sometimes as humans, as people, we just need help getting, moving from being stuck to getting moving again. And stuck might be the very physical, being stuck in the car going, I don't really want to put my boots on. Um, and, and sometimes, it, you know, a help around mindset isn't about helping someone smash in the first goal or take the penalty that, you know, win you the game with a minute to go. Sometimes it's just about helping getting moving. And the, 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 what we found, um, I'm, there, you will notice, you'll have observed differences in the way boys react and girls react, but actually you'll have noticed differences in the way just people react. So our starting point when we, t- when we talk about mindset is that actually it's humans first and athletes seconds. And so the approach that we've been taking for the, all these years now is to recognize the humanity of the people that we're talking about, whether that's a young, a, a young adult, young child, or whether it's an elite athlete. Yeah, I think that point you made, David, around that human, human side, humans first and people and players, if you like, athletes second. And there's something I read around females, around like females don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think it's a real, something which sticks with me no matter what, what age what level when it comes to females i'm not saying that males aren't the same because everyone likes to be cared and valued and stuff but it's even more prominent in in females um so i think that piece and and like you said pressure just might be getting your boots on and kicking a ball or the mindset to kind of do it and i guess it's those little steps isn't it and not 
look and I think when we look at mindset sometimes we look at the elite player and actually it's all the way down to a grassroots beginner player who's never kicked a ball but it's just trying to put yourself in their shoes knowing what because um, we might think as a coach is easy and I know we'll come on to speak about coaches role in a second but um, it's easy just come on just come and play what's the matter with you but actually understanding that person first is, is so important isn't it so, so Martin on on that point then that, that Abby's just brought up um, should we be um, bringing out mental skills in the same way and that, that we would say counter-attacking so we would develop a session on it every week or a month it, should that be the way that we look, we go ahead as coaches to, to help players yeah look Dave I mean we've talked about this before the whole area of mindset in football particularly is a hugely unexplored opportunity both for the development of young footballers and the development at the highest end of the game. I, I personally feel it's just we've not even scratched the surface of what's possible. And, and I've looked hard and thought, what is the reason for that? And, and there's a, a great rugby coach who's done a lot in football now, a guy called Brian Ashton, who, who some of the people look, looking here will, will, will be familiar with. Brian says it perfectly. He says, until we stop treating mentality like a trip to the dentist, we'll not make progress. And for me, that's at the heart of it. And for a young athlete, it, as soon as you, you people think, oh, he or she can't quite cope with this. It's almost like you've got to go to the doctor or you've got to go to the dentist and it needs a specialist. And my feeling around this and our experience and the work we do is this is the domain of coaches. It's the domain of players. This should be simple and accessible and practical to understand and use. And so that's a long way of saying, yes, the sooner you can introduce mindset. We've been working with six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight, nine, ten-year-olds, not just in football, but lots of other sports who are starting to understand that when you think about what they're doing, and in this case, football, look, they know what it means to get better. They know what it means to win. Children rarely need teaching to win. So they know what that means, getting better. They know that they're, they know what pressure is and they know that their mindset and what they think about has a part to play. There's your entry point for a very specific focus on mindset. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll tell you, this is an interesting one we find. When we start working with children or even when we start working with elite athletes in the professional game, we always ask them, well, what do you think the biggest sources of pressure for are you? You know, where does the most pressure come from? And in the top three, guess who's always in the top three? Parents. Parents <laughs> and? Coaches. Yep. Always. And then they sometimes say opposition. They sometimes say environment. But there you have it. So when we start to talk about pressure, we start to think, well, actually, where does it come from? And then it's about a simple way of helping sort of acknowledge it and deal with it. So that's the first point, just to normalize the conversation around mm -hmm. mindset and take it away from the trip to the dentist mentality. Yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you mean, because uh, we, I, I've had discussions. That, the one big discussion that always comes up is, is the car journey home or the car journey uh, to to training uh, or, or to on match day because often that's where the uh, the players will get out of the car and the dad's giving them a you know a, a talking to about how they should be playing or or after the match if they've lost or things like that and that's um, so so we can uh, as coaches um, and and that this picks up Abby's point about females and confidence so we need to be. I guess giving them the confidence to to deal with those situations, which which, which I mean that you know that's not always easy, um, and and it, and if we say okay, you know boys and girls they react slightly differently to 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 the confidence I'm trying to give them. How then, Martin, am I going to coach 
if I've got, say I've got a, a, a team with six boys in it and two girls, because, you know, a lot a lot of countries and and, and it's becoming more uh, prevalent over here that they will they will try and bring girls because because in some areas it's really difficult to get, uh, you know, Abby will know this better than I can, but in some areas it's really difficult to get girls' teams together because you don't have enough players of, of the right age. So when we bring girls into boys' teams, um, what, what do we do with that, Martin? Yeah, my feeling is that'll be a bit of a trap. And, and I think if you, if you try and... So um, two things I would say about this. Uh, the first thing is... When we get introduced to a young player and we do some work one-to-ones with some really talented young players, one of whom is a young, uh, she's a young girl playing in a professional academy in the boys team uh, in Portugal. And, uh, and she's actually probably mentally stronger than the rest of the boys uh, in the team. And I say that not knowing the rest of the boys, but I know Erica really well. And she's terrifically mentally strong. Um, and she uh, and she it, it, she's I'm working at happens to be with her brother as well. And we're working on exactly the same language and exactly the same approach. Um, now, of course, what they hear and how they apply that to themselves and the pressures they feel and the challenges they feel does change. So the, but the starting point is to acknowledge that we're all human. We're all vulnerable to pressure, whether we're young, old, elite talented, not so talented. And the starting point is to establish a really simple, accessible way. And what, what I was going to say as well is a really good way of ensuring that your parents can be helpful and the coaches can be helpful is to make sure that obviously coaches, but even parents get an introduction to the concept of red to blue, which we'll talk about in a bit, but that concept of the way to teach mental skills, because of course they can be really helpful as well. So I would say broaden out the description. The, the the explanation to everybody. Yeah, one of the things um, you know, you've just picked up on 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 one of the the ways that uh, gazing deal with uh, this this problem, and that is called red to blue. Um, but within red to blue, um, is there some way that we think pressure can possibly help? Does it does it help players? And 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 do we do we have to try and pick up on that that point and think, well, yeah, pressure sometimes does help my team perform. Yeah. So uh, can I flip? You said problem, by the way, which is, again, it's a natural layer. And it's, for me, it's an opportunity and it's a skill to develop, just like physical, just like technical, just like tactical. And we'll talk about how to, how coaches can integrate it. But it's the same thing. But actually, you should ask Abby because Abby's played much more recently than I have. And, and, you know, were there moments when you were playing when you when pressure became a catalyst for your performance and not an impediment? Yeah, I think if I go back from early early days playing football like Dave said there wasn't no girls teams back 20 years ago when I started playing obviously the games developed loads now but um I guess I came I come from kind of a big family and I was used to playing football down the fields with my brother so that kind of pressure of going in and playing in a boys team didn't daunt me so much because of the experiences I had of of like there it was just you're just used to not having that opportunity or girls not being able to. But um, I always remember almost wanting to prove people wrong as a young young child. So probably thrived off the pressure a little bit more, thinking you're not allowing girls to play. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of step in now. And then I think you get to teenagers when girls football did exist then, and and there was like old centre of excellences and things. And that was probably pressure when it came to trials and trying to get into teams. And it was that that external pressure around that I guess and which I guess a lot of males and females um, come across so 
yeah, having that pressure of, am I going to be in this team? And if I strip it back, was it about getting into the team? No, it's probably about then if you wasn't, you know, wasn't going to play with your friends, you were going to be having to start again in a new environment. So if I look back now and you actually strip back the layers, what does it mean by not getting into that or not being part of that? It's that whole yeah, not being part of something you've been used to being part of for a long time. Yeah. Um, and I and I guess just again those big occasions when you get into a into a final or into a um playoff game or whatever that might look like, or down the bottom of the league table and you see yesterday in the Premier League games and um Chelsea losing when probably if it was a normal game on a normal day, they probably would have won that game. But based on what those pressures was and is really interesting when you say to your players, it's just another game. But if you think back to when you were a player playing in it, it wasn't just another game. But how do you manage your emotions to allow you to be the best player you can? And I think it's managing emotions and the what ifs, I think, is a, is a big one. Can I answer that, Dave? Because that's it, it's such, is, that, is that right? Because yeah. uh, yeah the word problem and I, I won't use that word again <laughs> <laughs> look look it's, it's natural we've just got to get it into the language of football but this is an opportunity to develop and to tap into what Abby just said because because Abby just said there are moments when you're playing or when you're coaching when the pressure of the situation just feels like a catalyst it's like a stimulant to want to play well and and, and kids will know that they'll feel that but there are also equally moments when when there are different ways we react as different people. Sometimes, like, just freeze, you know, the sort of reaction, just just freeze. Sometimes people go all, all kind of passive. Um, sometimes you, you see an overly aggressive response to the pressure, and all of a sudden they're overhyped and, you know, the, the performance fails. Or sometimes people, you know, when they talk about players going missing on the field, or, yeah. you know, you, that's often a response to the, their, the, their feeling of pressure. So the, the thing that has appeared critical to us is to acknowledge the existence of pressure and the impact of it on our mindset, both as a catalyst, sometimes it's really helpful, but also equally as a potential impediment, as a, as a blocker for our performance. Once we acknowledge it's there, then you can get to work. And I think your point, Dave, was, was what role can coaches play? This then speaks to the role that coaches play in creating an environment or a culture and I don't mind whether that's at your local club in the village or whether that's a, a, the, the, the most famous club in the world. The role that coaches and the, and the senior people play is to create an environment and culture where mindset is a critical component of the way that we prepare and develop players. And, and in the work that, that the All Blacks have done with exactly the same concept that we've developed. So the All Blacks you know, took it in 2008 from us, de delivered by one of our founding partners, and they've worked with it now for 10 years. And it's an integral part of their culture. Now, they're at the very best. That might be a bit daunting, the very top of their game. But equally, we've got great examples in small clubs and, 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 and just junior athletes who are taking this and going, actually, pressure is a, is a catalyst, but I need to prepare myself for it by doing the things that Abby talked about, the what ifs. Mm. But pre pressure is funny because... Uh, you know, I, I, if I speak to a, a coach and I'll say to him, oh, you know, you, we need to put them in pressure situations. Um, we, we need the, the sessions that we create uh, to, to enhance that pressure. So we put them under pressure in a nice environment that we've created for them. And then when they're in a, 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 bit, a bit more of a, of, a, of a real situation, then they can respond to that. But 
Um, a lot of coaches will say to me, well, you can't, you can't create that pressure, Dave. How, how am I going to create the pressure where someone has to take a penalty to equalise 1-1 and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the last minute of a game and I've got my parents, all the parents are on the shower lines cheering and, and you put a, a child into that situation. How, how do we, uh, I, I guess, Martin, now I am coming into what Red to Blue is all about, aren't I? Um, and Red to Blue um, is, is, is the way I kind of got into uh, understanding mental skills. Um, and, and I think at this point, if you could just, um, if you could just get back the coaches that are listening, they, they would probably like really to understand what Red to Blue is because I, we keep talking about it and there is a, yeah. uh, there's a need for them to understand that. Look, and it's out there a little bit because fortunately some of the work we've done with the high-profile organisations like New Zealand All Blacks and things like that have been written about and it's out there and there's a book about Red to Blue. Um, but what, what I would say is um, knowing what we learned over sort of over 20 years now around mindset, we, we put it within this framework framework that really picks up on the area of mindset and captures that whole area, idea of talking about mindset as a skill. And it focuses in on, on, on your control of your attention, really, what you, what you focus on, what you think about. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not about some tricky way to change what people think about. And equally, and part of this is the accessibility of Red to Blue, because what we hear is um, as soon as somebody starts to talk about neural pathways, and this is not by any stretch of the imagination dismissing the understanding of the academic reality of the way our brains work, it can become inaccessible for both players and coaches. So you need something that's simple and practical, easy to talk about, easy to use, and of course, it, but it equally needs to have its credibility. And that's what we've tried to do with Red to Blue. We've tried to make it um, a simple graphical way of describing what happens, both when um, your mindset is in a helpful perspective, we call the blue side, and it means it's focused on task, not distracted, not diverted by the pressure or by the potential outcome, uh, but it allows people to, what we say, keep their, um, keep their head where their feet are, um, you, you'll have heard it spoken about many times, just focus on the task at hand and not get distracted. But equally, red to blue acknowledges what happens when we get distracted. And it acknowledges the source of those distractions and the potentially unhelpful impact on our ability to play in the way that we've tra- trained about. And you can see uh, where we've taken that. The um, We've got uh, a, a 20-year-old amazing young woman up at the top of Everest at the moment. Um, and she's uh, at base camp waiting to be released to go. And she's using Red to Blue for exactly the same reason, to focus on task, make sure she's not distracted by all the things that are outside her control and just stay driven. Uh, and, and equally, a, a group of three girls were about to row from San Francisco to um, Hawaii in a race, a boat race, eight weeks in a boat, uh, a boat as big as a couch. And, and they're using exactly the same uh, concept to focus on task and not get distracted. And that's what Red to Blue does. It provides this um, innately human understanding of the way our mindset works when we're under pressure. And the key thing that that I think is critical to coaches listening today is it's, for our, from our perspective, it's the role of coaches to understand that and to start to train their athletes and develop their athletes around this whole area of building mental skills, just like they would physically, technically and tactically. So, so basically, what what you're saying, uh, and, and from from your experience, uh, we we uh, we need mental skill specialists. Um, these are these are people that are going to help a, a huge part of what as coaches we do, and and also a huge part of 
uh, you know, some of the people that you, you've just mentioned, they're in the position of the coach. So they, they have got to, you know, I, I mean, it's, I, I'll, I'll put a point to you. Um, when we had, after lockdown and we haven't been coaching for four months, I must admit, my first day back, I was scrabbling around thinking, what did I used to do? And, and mentally, I, I was feeling the pressure of that. I was thinking, what did I used to do? I've got an hour and a half to fill in this. And what did I used to do? And how, and, 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 and I mean, I'm, you know, I've been coaching for years and I was thinking about some of the, the young guys who have basically, they've started out as coaches and, um, you know, they've been coaching for two months and then suddenly, you know, the, the rug's pulled and, and we don't coach. Um, and I've, I found that quite difficult. Um, I'm sure, uh, Martin, and, and I'm sure, Abby, you too, uh, you, you can understand that point of view. It, it's not that you're, you know, that you're, you're frightened of it. It's just that suddenly it's something that you haven't done for ages. Uh, and, and yeah, it, it, uh, it does come as a bit of a shock. Mm. On, on lockdown, that point around lockdown as well, David, it made me just think then there was lots of Zoom happening with coaches and players and parents and getting parents involved in doing things around like little challenges and tasks and coaches were saying I've learned way more about my players in this 12 months than I have in the last 10 years of coaching or five years or two years whatever that looks like and it's because they just sent out little questionnaires they got to know them they got them online they found out many brothers sisters they got the mums and dads involved in stuff and actually if you talk about mindset and back to the point we made earlier around getting to know people as humans how easy that was during lockdown to potentially create something to send out and how powerful that is when you now know that stuff when they turn up to sessions and you can ask them how their cricket sessions are going, what their brother or they've been out playing football with their brother and sister, like all of those little things. And if we could continue to do that, and that was one of the things I used to say to coaches, can we continue to do this even when we're back out on the pitch? Because you've seen the impact it has finding out what they worried about coming back to football after not being played for so long. Do you find that stuff out when it is a new female or male turning up to a game? So just, again, it goes back to that understanding the human and, and actually people might not think they've got the skills as a coach to input the mental side of it, but if they take what they do every day in everyday life, whether that's their job, whether they're a full-time coach, the stuff they have to deal with, they probably do it, but it's just doing it, I guess, Martin, in the right way and linking into what are yep. the what are the external stuff, which I guess is that red stuff? What is the stuff which might stop players? How can we keep them in, in, in that kind of blue side of blue state of mind? So, uh, yeah. Uh, 100%, Abby. That, uh, this is one of the points you make. E even as you go, everyone will have, if, if we buy into the idea of red to blue being a skill and we buy into the idea of it being a human skill, then two things are true. One is that everyone's got a sort of starting point. And that probably is, you've already been doing this, you've already been thinking about it. We've always worked out ways of moving from a red-headed, distracted sense to a blue one. And critically, coaches are vulnerable to it as well. Coaches are just as vulnerable. But, but what happened in the last sort of 15 months or so was it became uh, coaches' jobs, managers' jobs in business, parents' jobs, parents' jobs, is to sort of help prepare people children for a couple of you know things they're going to be feeling and and what we were talking about during the last 15 months was things that actually distract us are things that are are, are uncomfortable um so things that are um uncertain so the anxiety associated with the uncertainty or things that are unhelpful and if you think about all of that that was true for everybody in the world and one of the keys to the answer to your your question dave um is actually it's back to routine and uh, and 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 rhythm 
And and so a lot of the help we were giving people in business and in sport and in all kinds of different areas was just to reconnect with the routine and the rhythm. Because once you get into a routine that becomes part of what you practice, it's far easier to stay blue if you've got a clear sense of what you should be doing. And even when the pressure's on and you've suddenly got these, you know, 15 or 20 kids back who are all going, give me a football. You know, you can just naturally fit into your rhythm because you've got a plan and you know what you're going to do. So we sort of say it's easier to be blue if you know what you're going to do. And that's a good starting point. One of yeah. the biggest triggers for people to go red is when they're not sure. So I've always believed it's nonsense when people say you can't practice penalties in the real world. I think you should. You just practice the hell out of them. And you make sure that when you're given that opportunity to practice when it matters, that's why golfers spend so much time on the on the putting green, because they practice it and practice it so that when it comes down to that putt that's worth whatever million dollars or whatever, they actually they've got it. They know it. They've, they've done it so many times. They've got the belief and the confidence that comes with being practiced and being skillful and they execute. It won't be the total answer to penalty taking, but it's a it's a long way towards it. Yeah, so that um, that kind of brings in, you know, Abby and I were discussing this uh, when we were the, the other day was, um, so should it be part of your session design? So when I'm planning, a, say I'm planning a session, uh, am I am I planning in a, a, I mean, it would be like that. Maybe I, I would have, you know, 10 minutes uh, between, uh, say, drills or 10 minutes between a warm up and, and the actual practice is do I give, give them 10 minutes of taking penalties? Um, and, and that is something really that coaches need to factor into uh, how they work, isn't it? Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, answer to your question, should you have a mental skills specialist? I think it's useful to do it. But there's a bit of a dilemma here, because as soon as we in the game of football move towards specialists, we move towards qualified specialists. And by definition, they come from academic qualified qualification, sports psychologists. And by definition, that still deals with the, OK, this is a problem that I've got to solve as opposed to a skill to develop. So from our perspective, the route is to get this language into the day-to-day -day language of coaching. So coaches understand it and they apply it. And the way we've seen it work best, Dave, to do is sometimes you separate it out and you focus on it individually. So you think of scenarios that might create, as Abby said, redhead situations. And then you, you get the players to think through what they would do. How do they make sure they stay focused on task? How do they think about the decisions they should make at those moments? But then you also start to deliberately integrate it into the practice that you do by throwing problems at the players and get them to think both not only technically, tactically, but, but, but also mentally. What should they do? And the deliberate use of the language starts to make it a sort of it becomes part of their routine. It becomes it normalizes it, which is the key to this. Yeah, I, th I think um, also that that brings into me one of the ways that coaches uh, coaches can develop their, the way that they cope with mental skills and the way that they, uh, they teach their players is, uh, you notice I use teach there instead of problem, uh, dealing with the problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I, where, I, where I coach, um, uh, the head coach there, Andy Massial and uh, Paul Jones, they, um, they introduced me to, to Red to Blue when, when I first started coaching with them, which is a, a few years ago now. Um, and, and obviously, they, they did a course with you and became, uh, I think it's qualified uh, educators in, in that subject, isn't it? And, and, and I know that, um, you know, a lot of coaches will be saying, well, you know, it's all well and good me uh, telling them all about 
they should be doing this, but but how do they do it? How would how would someone get uh, go go along to to gazing, and how would they get qualified to actually have something to do with the mental side of the game? It's I mean it's been a fabulous opportunity because it's in recent years as when when we've started to separate out red to blue and start to certify coaches as red to blue coaches, and, and we've just we've got over a hundred now across the world from coaches in tag rugby in Kenya, to mountain climbing guide, to a chess coach, to all kinds of different sports. And, and there really is the beginning of a groundswell of focus on becoming certified to integrate mental skills without being necessarily academically qualified to talk about the depth and some of the other areas that, that are there, but they're not always helpful and practical and accessible for coaches and, and players alike. Um, and so you you can uh, you can um, sign up. Um, we've we've got a brilliant partnership now with Capella. You can sign up and become a certified coach in what we would call the entry level understanding. So rather than read a book or look at some of the movies that are out there about New Zealand, actually there's a way of just becoming certified at an entry level to begin to use the language deliberately. And so it becomes red to blue for the coach and red to blue for the players. Because you will both know as you coach, at being vulnerable. It's just as easy to try and start coaching from the red side. And if you're coaching from the red side, then it's difficult to actually get the messaging across and the impact that you want on your players because you've got the passion associated with wanting to do well. So it's just as applicable for coaches to develop mental skill as it is for the, them to do that for their players. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's important. And, and just to pick up on, on a point we made earlier, um, when we go, when we, you know, as coaches, when we go on um, official courses, say like an FA course, they, the the course we would mostly go on would be looking at the welfare of children. Um, does does red to blue pick up on that side as well? Or would, does it give us skills to spot a child that that has that basically looks like they 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 come in, they turn up, and they're, they're having a bad time at home? Um, does it help us with that kind of uh, skill? Yeah, I think it will help, but we're really clear about the work that we do about boundaries, and and it's it's really important, it, 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 even more so now maybe um, because of the acknowledgement of the impact on mental health. That if there are observed mental health challenges or issues that an individual is facing, boy or girl, it doesn't matter, that the proper help is provided for them. And so you may well be the person that notices that for some reason that young adult, young child is dealing with issues that, that are maybe not helpful for them. And that's the moment when you, um, when you need to you know, ensure that they get the proper help for that um, or the proper guidance or the proper advice. What Red to Blue isn't to do is to try and help you become, if you like, a, a mini therapist. Um, it's really about introducing a simple framework for mental skills, both for yourself as a coach and for your athletes that you can apply and help them develop that core part of their game and integrate it in with the physicality that you build or the technical side that you build or indeed the decision making that you help them understand. But it, 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 it may help you see because you start to see and be aware of um, you know, individuals, kids when they're distracted or diverted or maybe feeling the pressure from something. Yeah. And how uh, and, and the other question I have is when I'm uh, talking to children about it, are we asking them questions? Uh, are we asking them about pressure on them when they're playing the game? Are we asking them about how the game affects them? We, because, you know, we, we find with players uh, in football 
there'll be I'll have a player who plays at the back because he, he likes the ball coming in front of him. And the minute I put him into a, a situation where he, he says in the middle of the pitch and the ball is coming to him from from all around uh, different areas, that then that that's a different kind of pressure. But you know something I was listening to um, Eddie Jones, you know the um, the England uh, rugby uh, boss uh, the other day, and he was talking about um, sessions being messy, and he said. Uh, you you need to have messy sessions. So you need to put players in in pressure situations that they, they wouldn't normally be in. He said because that is what the game is about. Players aren't always you know you might he might be playing right back, but at some stage he is going to be in the middle of the pitch. At some stage he is going to feel those pressures. So if we're constantly playing him at right back and he's we're developing his skills at right back when he does go into those situations in a match then then he's he, he's going to he's going to fall foul of it and 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 do you would you would you say that that kind of pressure is good yeah, um i was going to say <laughs> england did a good job of demonstrating a messy game over the last few uh, <laughs> the last few months but we'll leave that alone um <laughs> Actually, I was going to because Abby, you, when we were talking before, can I just ask Abby because you you talked about you know girls wanting to learn a bit more and understand what was happening. I mean, what's your been your observation? Because I've got a I've got a perspective on that, but just be interesting to hear from girls as well. Yeah, the last few minutes as you've been speaking, I've been thinking that when we do tech tack sessions, we speak around we're going to be working on this because we need to get better at that. And females like to know the why. If they can buy into the why, then you're going to have them. It do doesn't mean they have to agree with it. They might not agree with your rationale, but as long as you explain the why to it, they, they get it. So before delivering a session, it's we're working on this because of X, Y and Z. This is what it's going to look like. This is how the session is going to look. And then it got me thinking around, because they ask questions all the time, the girls I coach ask questions while we're doing this, what happens if this happens? What else? And I've got to a point where they lack decision making sometimes because giving them the answers all of the time. So it's having a balance now of how much do I tell them? How much do they just go and explore? But also going, just go and try it out. If it goes wrong, it doesn't matter. But you need to adapt based on like what Dave said, it needs to look like the game. So then as long as the practice looks like the game and they're having the same problems, then when they go to a, a match day on a Saturday or a Sunday, they're going to face some of the same things. But it got me back to thinking around the mindset piece. When planning, Dave mentioned it earlier, when planning for sessions, do we input it into our session plans like we do with our practices? So if we're going to put conditions on practices, if we're going to put challenges on it, does it link to the overriding mindset piece or does it just link to another tack piece? And then it got me thinking around the players like to know the why. So do we tell individuals, and I think it's important, individuals rather than teams, because not all the team are going to face necessarily the same mindset problems at once necessarily. So do we tell them, look, this is going to happen today. We're going to, I'm going to be giving loads of decisions. It might not go your way. It might go your way, but to develop this, or do we just do it? And they, they've got to find ways to cope with it. And I guess for me, it would if I was doing sessions, and I, you might persuade me different after kind of your answer next, but having a mixture. So maybe sometimes explaining the why, but actually sometimes, no, this is what we're going to do and you've got to deal with it. Might be then a discussion I have after with that player. So if they do blow up, it might be, I've been doing this on purpose because of this reason. Um, but I think for females, it's just so important to explain the why, whether that's at the beginning, the middle or the end, um, just so they buy into it. 
I really hope everyone's taken away what you just said, because that if you, the answer is it's a mix and be deliberate about it. And most of the time we sort of we get focused on the on the tactical decision that was made or the technical execution of that. And we don't introduce the mindset. And I think if you've given them the simplicity of the red to blue framework, you can start with a question. You know, that situation you just faced individually or as a team, because sometimes teams need to respond collectively to so when momentum shifts and defense moves to attack or vice versa. And just say, when that happened, just talk to me about what you were feeling, what you were thinking, and where that decision came from. And if you start to get to that, you're going to get to And if you can do it in what we call a hot debrief, it's a little difficult, but you can do it in a hot debrief. You can do, Then you can say, what were you thinking? And then you can start to get to the clarity of the thought process. And that's where, going all the way back to Brian Ashton, he always believed that mental skills should be applied in, 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 in conjunction with game understanding and decision making. Because... Both of those things are often applied in conjunction with one another. And Dave, your, your point at the beginning where you said, no, you know, it, it, very few games are the perfect game. I understand as a coach, you want to finish your session with brilliant, perfect game, but it never happens like that. And everybody knows, you know, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Or if you want the Mike Tyson quote, is it everyone has a plan until they get a punch on the nose? And I think as coaches, you want to provide, develop young players to deal with the punch on the nose. I'm not on metaphorical terms, not actual terms, but um, you want to deal with the punch on the nose because that's the moment, Abby, when their thinking is tested. And and do they? I, I, I was I'm lucky enough to have a conversation with Emily Scarrett the other day, who's the captain of England rugby. Uh, she, she's been captain of England rugby. And Alice Powell, who is a motor racing driver in the W Series. Both of them are certified red to blue coaches. And they were just talking about the moment when it, you need to adapt your thinking because the situation has changed. And they were talking about how important it is to make sure that it's difficult to do from the red side. Because if, if your thinking's got narrowed and you're tunneling on, I must do, I must do, I must do this, or I'm going to change for no reason, all of a sudden it's likely to impact on performance. So, so developing your, your, whether you're a motor racing driver on a racetrack or you're a rugby player on a rugby field or a footballer on a football field, to the, the ability to, to recognize when the situation's changed and actually do I keep executing the plan that we had and do we make sure we all do that or do we take a step back, zoom out a little bit and start to think about how we adapt and change? Because one of the worst feelings for a coach is when the team come off and they go, you know what, if only we'd done that and you want to strangle them because you go, well, no one stopped you. Mm -hmm. Two things you said there as well. It got me around asking players how they feel, whether that's the when they've made a decision or it's something on the pitch or off the pitch. But sometimes we say, why did you do that? What was what what was your decision in that rather than how did that feel? Even if it's some kind of technique work we're doing, we all know when we've hit a pass like quite sweetly. Or, um, but it's that feeling. How does that feel? How does it feel when that player, for example, Dave spoke about? Well, how does it feel now when you receive the ball in the middle of the pitch? He might just say like, "Rushed. I feel this. I feel that. I feel like I'm going to yeah. give it away. I feel too under pressure." So actually, by asking how they feel, they might give you some different answers. And then the next one, um, got the opportunity a few years ago to go to Villarreal and watched um, the the men's academy, boys' academy there train. And it was interesting what they did with their goalkeeper coaches. The goalkeeper coaches um, trained in the session. We all know a lot of clubs you go to, the goalkeepers go off, do their stuff. Outfield, they come together at the end and they integrate. But the goalkeepers are in with the sessions um, for the whole session. They'll be 
uh, bounce players on the outside. Then when the um, outfield players finish, the outfield players might go and do some individual work or they go inside. Then the goalkeepers then go away and do their technical stuff because they're fatigued, they're tired. They're having to make decisions and do technical stuff where mentally they're a bit more drained. And it makes me think around sessions we do or we see coaches do, how often do people do technical practices or do stuff when players are at the beginning of sessions? When actually how are you finessing things when they're just tired mentally and then they get frustrated because they can't do what they find being simple from A to B. And then you get the frustrations, you get the anger, you get the confidence stuff, you get the, um, yeah, just performing under mental pressure. So it, it just got me thinking around when do I do what at a session? Typically, you see coaches do a little technique, a bit of a skill and a bit of a game, especially those who have gone on your traditional courses. But sometimes mixing it up, play a game and then do some stuff at the end. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's brilliant advice, Abby. I know, I know. Uh, you know, certainly in, in when you play a game at the end of, uh, of training, uh, the players do different things because they are tired and because we're, we're all saying to, to the coaches that, that, that we're advising, well, you've got to look for, you run a session and look for everything that we've learned in the session to come out in your uh, training match. And, and often it won't come out. Often the players will be. Uh, I, I had a player on, on Thursday night come across to me and say, my legs are really hurting, Dave. I, I just don't want to, to play the game at the end. And that's purely because, he, you know, at, at the moment we're doing so much, uh, so much work on getting back into into the game, having having missed out on it. So, um, yeah, that's a really good point. And the other point I really like uh, that, that Martin brought up is, is the coach uh, on the sideline because we see it every week in the Premier League because and coaches will lose their rag, all of them. I mean, even them, even Pep Guardiola and Jose Mourinho, you know, they all lose their rag at some stage because the team are, are A, not doing what they want them to, and or, or B, uh, they're losing. Um, and and it is a, it is a difficult to be a coach and stand on the sidelines when all the things that you've been coaching you see that the, the 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 boys or the girls are not doing what you want them to do and and it's quite easy to you know get carried away with that uh, we, we I, you know I try I try my hardest not to react to the referee because you, you don't want the boys to see you or the girls to see you reacting to the referee not to, to pull, pull a player off when he's just made a really bad mistake even if I'm thinking I'm going to take this player off if he makes a mistake we've got to leave him on or her on because you know and, and th- those are the kind of things that um, h- hopefully uh, coaches will will um, will be able to learn through uh, yeah. things like I mean, that's Dave, yeah. I, I I think that the you know you, you you talked about you talked about the elite game all the way through to the, the the game on a Sunday morning on a Saturday morning and that's why I say this is such a fantastic opportunity now you know best best will probably we're going to get to the young developing kids who are, who are starting football now that's probably what's going to happen but but wouldn't it be fantastic if we could start to develop the mentality deliberately and consistently of those very top players because you know what you really do learn from people who understand this is actually you never stop learning you never stop developing and sometimes our mental skills become a product of our experience and as you know in in a world of football where your physicality is constantly under under threat sometimes that can just be a little bit too late wouldn't it be great if we could develop mental skills in line with technical and the decision making and your physical skills so that you got this stuff in a package when you're ready at 15 16 17 18 
and you developed and you don't have to wait till you're 28 and you go, I'm the old pro now and I can remember what it was like and I've learned through experience. Let's try and short circuit it. And all it needs, in our opinion, is a simple, practical, common language that's accessible for coaches, that's understandable for players and usable for players. And it just needs to be applied deliberately. I'm, 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 under my, I'm underplaying it a little bit, but that's what it needs. And in the situations that Abby talked about, mix it up a little bit, throw them into a, you know, a messy situation and then talk to them about it. rather than saying, why did you do that? Which is like asking your kid, you know, your, your, one of your children, why did you hit your brother or your sister? I don't know. Yeah. Better to get to well, what were you feeling and how did you do that? And then let's start to get to grips as to how we can change it next time. Better questions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, um, uh, Martin, you know, you just said earlier that it's always good to end on a big, powerful uh, note when you've scored a goal or you're winning the match or something that you set up in training work. I hope all the coaches out there can see how important it is to have mental skills within your coaching programme. Not only does it affect players, it affects coaches too. So thank you very much, Martin. And thanks to you too, Abby. It's been a great discussion today. And look out for more discussions on mental skills in the coming weeks on Capello. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe for further podcasts and check out capello.com to see how we can help you take your coaching to the next level.